All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, especially those of you who are online watching on whatever venue you're watching it on. We thank you so much for uh, being there. We know that we have this new mandate, and so we're, we're thankful for technology. We're thankful for the ability to worship with people all over the world. Who knows? Who knows who's watching today? So we are going to be in Luke chapter 7 today. A little bit of a scenery change. Jesus is back in his home base, the town of Capernaum. And I'm just going to start us off by reading Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10, if you want to turn in your Bibles and read along with me. If not, it should be up on the screen for you as well. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, "He is worthy for you to, to have. He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue." And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let your servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So last week, I, uh, I kind of shared my heart with you guys. I shared a little bit of uh, some stuff about me, made, uh, got a little bit vulnerable, told you about some of the anxieties I have coming up on stage, some of the things that I think about as I get up here. And uh, we, we have a staff meeting on Mondays, and during this uh, time we do like a Sunday review. And there's always a time where we go over the sermon and we talk about it, and I was really looking forward to you know, hearing some feedback, really looking forward to the support of the staff and the good things that they would say. And Jay Dunn, who's back there running sound, um, he gets out his phone and he starts playing like this song. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Why is he playing this music? And it was, it was like this awful noise. It was like, you could, it's like one of those noises when you hear it, you're like, please turn that off. This is horrible. What is going on? I'm like someone is singing and it sounds like the seagull from The Little Mermaid. Do you remember that seagull that's like, wow, wow, wow? It's pretty much what it sounds like. And then I had this awful moment of, of terror. What I realized is that before I go up on stage, I turn on my mic, but I like to, you know, sing with you guys, and I like to sing to Jesus, but apparently they mute it back there, but it's still being recorded. And so what I was hearing was my own voice, and it was terrible. Like, you guys ever hear yourself? I, it's hard to watch myself preach. It's like, is that what I sound like? I'm so sorry. And uh, I did remind Jay, that I'd be preaching again this Sunday and that I would have the mic and an opportunity. But he had a quick comeback. He reminded me that he controls, again, the sound and the audio and the video and all that's going on and all that can be released to the internet. So I just wanna say this about Jay Dunn. Man, we are so thankful for you, all the hard work that you do. 
Man, uh, audio video team, I love you guys. I love you so much. You guys are awesome. I awesome. Thank you for the, the live stream and all that you do. Uh, but we all need moments like this. We all need moments uh, of humility. We need those types of friends like Jay to, uh, when we get a little bit prideful, when we think that we've got it all figured out, we need, we need people in our lives to, to bring us down to our knees and, and make us rethink if we have it all figured out. I wonder if you guys have friends like that, friends like Jay Dunn. They're good to have around. In this story, I see Jesus as that type of friend. I see Jesus as one who doesn't want you to get too built up in yourself, doesn't want you to figure, to think that you've got it together. I wonder what it was like to be a disciple of Jesus. I wonder how frustrating it would have been. Like, can you imagine, like, this guy knows their thoughts. This guy knows what's going on in their hearts. There's no hiding from him. He must have been the best practical joker, the best the best there was, man. I, I cannot imagine what it would be to be a disciple of Jesus. I have a, a, a walking with him in those times. I am a disciple of Jesus. And I have a little bit of that understanding because he does it to me. And, and I want to talk about that in this passage. And I want to talk about how he's doing it to the centurion soldier and how he's doing it to his followers and how he's doing it to you and how he's doing it to me. So we start out, like I said, we're back in Capernaum. Jesus had just preached what would be called the greatest sermon ever, and we finished that up last week. We talked about what it means to build your foundation on Jesus and to dig deep. And so now he's back, he's in, he's in Capernaum, and there's this soldier that enters this scene. And so it starts out, after he'd finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant. So if you, if you understand what's going on in this time, uh, the people of God, the Israelites are in Palestine and they're under Roman rule, they're under the authority of the Romans and so they had uh, soldiers that would be in the town that were sort of keeping the peace and making sure that that rule was uh, obeyed, that, that Rome would continue to rule over them. And so uh, this centurion was a man of high ranking. He'd be sort of like a captain as I understand it. I am. Uh, not a huge, I've never been in the military, have family in the military, but what, what I understand is he'd be sort of like a captain in, in today's military. But he had about, you know, 80 to 100 guys underneath him. And he, he probably had a lot of power and authority in that town that he was in. Um, he'd probably had to do some things to get there. He'd probably seen a lot of battle. Uh, he probably was a pretty confident guy. He probably was brave. He's probably got a good head underneath him. And so this guy is, is used to this kind of lifestyle of power and authority and control, and he's used to um, just ruling over people and understands what's going on. But the interesting thing here is that he had a servant, and if you, under, if you know anything about uh, Roman rule in this time, uh, the, people, the centurion had the right to actually kill his servant if he wasn't useful to him anymore. The servants weren't treated very well. But these, uh, these, the Roman and his servant have, the centurion and servant have a different relationship. There's something a little bit different about them. And it says, had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. So there's, there's this different relationship. Like this centurion soldier is a little bit different of a guy. He really cares about his servant. He's highly valued by him. Began to explore the word uh, servant and it's, uh, 
based off of the Greek word, I believe it's doulos, and it could also mean like bondservant. And there's this relationship where the servant may have given up his rights and his life to actually serve this centurion soldier. They're probably like almost like father and son. I was talking with Josh Haas uh, on Monday. We do this sermon prep meeting, and we were just kind of thinking about this relationship and how weird it was. And Josh Haas came up with a good sort of understanding of what it would be like. He said, the centurion is sort of like Batman, and uh, uh, the, uh, the servant is sort of like, um, now I'm totally forgetting his name. Alfred, thank you. Man, it's so good to have you guys paying attention and listening. That was a test, if you didn't know. This, yeah, so there's this relationship, and I thought about, man, what if I just like, did this whole sermon in like, like a Batman analogy, and then I realized that I'd probably either make someone mad or lose all of you. But uh, I, I thought about a title. This sermon could be called Even Batman Needs a Savior, but we're not gonna go there. I'm not gonna do that today. But think about that kind of relationship. Like, he really cares for his servant. And he goes on, he's sick, so something's wrong. Luke is a physician, and so this is his medical diagnosis. He says that he was sick and at the point of death. And so this, this uh, centurion, with all his power, all his might, all his authority, all the things that he's been able to do and accomplish with himself, he's got a problem. Things are out of control for him. He can't fix this issue. He cares about his servant so much and he wants to fix it. There's nothing he can do. This guy is about to die. I wonder if you understand what that's like. I know I do. It was about this time last year that I was really feeling that way. I, I, was, uh, I had a job, a job that I got and I really liked and I felt like I worked hard to get and it provided me a lot of value and worth and I was a manager and I managed a lot of people. But things started going wrong and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But I just felt like nothing I did was right and I felt like I had no control over this job. And I felt like I was about to lose it. And to top it off, I was about to have my fifth child I don't know how I got in that mess, well I do, but that's another book of the Bible, we'll do that some other day. But I was, I, I was so stressed out. I was so anxious. Life just felt out of control. My daughter was about to be born and my wife had this uh, rare blood thing going on where she had these antibodies she was producing and so it was a high risk pregnancy. I'm about to lose my job and I remember it was Friday, I believe, August 9th. My boss takes me out for coffee and I sort of knew this was coming and he just hands me this letter from HR and it just basically says, we're, we're putting you back to your old position and although that doesn't sound horrible, it meant a lot less money and a lot less of my value and my worth because this job that I put so much of my hope in it was being taken away from me. And I didn't think I could afford this fifth kid. I didn't know what was going on. August 10th, Saturday, the next day, my daughter's born. And although I loved that moment, I loved being present, I loved seeing her born and she was healthy and I was so thankful there was this underlying 
anxiety, this underlying, how am I gonna fix this? How am I gonna provide for her? What am I gonna do? I remember this, I just, I couldn't get out of my head. There was this shame that I felt. I, while we were still at the hospital, I went and packed up my office alone because I, I couldn't face going back there and doing it in front of people. So things were getting a little bit better. I was spending time with my, my wife and my new daughter. Still had that anxiety, still couldn't sleep at night. And then Tuesday, August 13th, I get a call from my brother. And I remember looking at my phone and I just remember I felt like something was wrong. And I picked up my phone and my brother said, Matt, he's gone. Dad died. He was on a walk, he passed out and they couldn't revive him. It's a moment I will never forget for the rest of my life. I remember all that was going on. I remember all that I was going through, the stress that I was under for about a year. I remember thinking to myself, man, this world is so broke. I remember thinking, there is no hope. This, thing, this is broken, this is out of my control. I was broke in that moment. I think the centurion feels that way, felt that way. I wonder how many of you here today feel that way. I wonder how many of you in your marriage feel like it's out of control. You can't fix it. How many of you in your jobs feel like it's not going well? Maybe the economy is going down and you're not sure you're gonna have one anymore. How many of you today are suffering from an illness, cancer? There's nothing you can do about it. Or this whole coronavirus thing, so many of us today are uncertain. There's nothing we can do. We hope that there's a vaccine, but we don't know. We don't know what's gonna happen. Will our kids ever go back to school? What's the world gonna look like? I think every single one of you today knows what it feels like when this world feels like it's broke, when you can't control it and you can't fix it. But the centurion hears about a, a solution he hears about someone who is a healer. He's heard some stories. He's heard about some people that have come back to life. He heard about Jesus. It says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to them the elders of the Jews, asking him to come to heal his servant. So he hears about Jesus, and he thinks, well, I'm a, I'm a Gentile, and he knows enough about what's going on in Roman culture or in uh, Jewish culture. He knows about the laws and the practices and, and the things that they do. He knows that a Gentile can't come in the presence of this great Jewish healer. And so he sends elders. He sends the religious leaders of the church. He thinks, well, maybe they can make a testament for me. 
because he knows he's unclean according to them. I know what it's like to feel like that. I know what it's like to feel like I don't have the right identity. To feel like I can't come to this place. I wonder how many of you watching online feel like you're watching from the outside and you've never been to church and you feel like you're not good enough to be here. And some of you guys, even here today, don't feel like you belong. Don't feel like you can come in this building. Don't feel like you can enter the presence of Jesus. I wonder if he had seen some stuff being a a military soldier. I wonder about the things he had to do to get to his position. And I wonder if he had the sense that, man, this Jesus guy, I can't get in front of him. I need someone who's more clean than me. I need someone who's better. So he sends these religious elders. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So they assume that Jesus is gonna need some convincing. They assume that he, Jesus isn't gonna wanna just go to this guy, this uh, Gentile, this Roman soldier. The Romans were oppressing the Jews at this time, and most of them didn't have a good name. Like These generally were not good guys. This, this centurion soldier was a little bit of an anomaly. He's pretty unique. And so they pleaded Jesus, and they say, he is worthy. He belongs in front of you. Don't you see the good things that he's done? He ties. He goes to church on Sunday. He loves our people. Like He even built us this church. Don't you see that the things that he does make him worthy to approach you? How many of us feel that way? How many of us feel like we've got to get things right before we can approach Jesus? How many of us think that religion is going to save us? If we just tithe enough, if we just build a church, if we just do the right thing, we hang out with good people, we can control the situation. We can fix this world. We can make ourselves clean. So he's done all the right things, so surely he's good enough. Surely he's worthy. So how does Jesus respond to this? I think there's this interesting, interesting thing about Jesus where he is fully God, but he's also fully man. And I think what happens is Jesus senses his father's work in this, and he says, oh, there's someone who needs me. There's someone who heard about me and wants me. And it says, and Jesus went with them just immediately. Doesn't question it. Doesn't pause. He's coming after him. Probably going pretty fast. His followers are probably trying to keep up. I, I imagine Jesus being very fast. But something happens here. See, I think what's happened is the centurion 
has this revelation. He's thinking about this Jesus guy. He's thinking about who he is, and he knows he's on his way. And he's, he's thinking, wait, there's a huge problem. And again, he knows that Jewish law, he knows those practices, those customs, and he's thinking, hold on, hold on, hold on. There, he cannot come here. And something big is about to happen here. This huge problem is actually just what this guy needed to realize. So what does he do? When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Do you guys catch that? This is huge. This is big. I'm gonna read it again. He said, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. See, what this guy realized, he's saying, Jesus, I can't go to you. I'm not clean enough to be in your presence. And Jesus, you can't even come to me. I know I need you, but I can't go to you, and you can't come to me. What he realizes, he needed something else. What he realizes, what I would call true humility. Last week I talked about being afraid of other people. And sometimes that's what motivates us, is that fear of other people. But I believe what he understood this day, what happened in that moment, is he feared God. And he understood the bigness and the greatness of God. And he understood the depth and depravity of his sin. He was lost in that. He knew this world was out of control and he knew that he had caused it. But he understood something. He understood something even greater. He said, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am too a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So Jesus sends these, or so the centurion sends these messengers and he says, you can't come here, God, and I can't go there. But in my life, I've understood something. I've understood the authority of the word. I understand what it means to have power in the word. So I'm not good enough to come to you, and you're too good to be in my presence. What I need is the word. He understands that the, in the word's power to fix this broken world. I wonder today if you look to the authority of the word. In your anxiety, 
in your marriage, with cancer, with coronavirus, with all that's going on, parenting, relationships. Do you understand the authority of, this wor- of the word? Do you understand that there's things in this w- world that are broken, that are outside of your control? Do you feel that? Where do you look? Where do you go when that happens? You see, I think we all have this problem. I think we get confident in ourselves. I think we, we think we've got it figured out. I think we've got it all together. And I don't think Jesus wants us to get that way. Jesus is too good of a friend to let us get confident in ourselves. He's too good of a friend to let us put our hope in this world. It says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. It's only mentioned twice in all of the Bible that Jesus marvels at something. In this situation, at the centurion and his faith, and again in Mark at people's unbelief and their lack of faith. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you not even in Israel have I found such faith. I really understand what, it, what Jesus, I think I understand at least what Jesus was feeling in this moment, maybe not quite like him, so I don't see into your thoughts. But he marveled at this guy who just immediately believed in the authority of his word. See, as a pastor, so many times people come to us and like Jesus, I think we we sort of expect an argument. We sort of expect that we're gonna have to prove ourselves. We, we, like Jesus did, we, people are looking for a sign or a miracle. They, They want us to cast fish over the side of the, or cast our nets over the side of the boat and just fill it with fish. So many times Jesus had to show himself to people. He had to prove himself. He had to prove in his authority and power. In Luke's gospel, we're exploring Jesus doing just that. But this centurion understood something that we all need. He understood something that each one of us needs to comprehend here, that this world is outside of our control. He understood the gospel. You see, it starts out just like you and I start out. We think we've got it all figured out, but something happens. We see the brokenness in this world. We see that it's, we don't have it all figured out. We see that we need something outside of ourselves. And we hear about Jesus. And we hear about this guy, this man. We never see him, but we hear about him. 
know we need him. And so we try to clean ourselves up. We try to do the right things, but that doesn't work out for us. But Jesus comes for us. And he looks at us and he says, I'm coming for you no matter what. And we say, but, but God, I can't do it. I can't fix this. There has to be another way. But God sends his word. It says in John's gospel, in the beginning of John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so God, knowing all along that there was no way for us to save ourselves, that there was no way for us to get it under control, sends his son in our place to live the life that we couldn't live, to do the things that we couldn't do, to take on all of our sin, all of our shame, all of those things that we feel. And he takes it on the cross and he pays the price for us. And it changes us. We all need the gospel and the centurion, his faith, it was immediate in that. He understood at that moment he needed the gospel. He needed the word, and the word was Jesus. And finally it says, and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. You see, what happened here is there was no magic spell. Luke doesn't record Jesus saying anything. Because so many of us think that we just need to have enough faith. We just need to try harder. We just need to, to do more to fix the issue. But it's not how much faith we have, it's the object of our faith. And when you understand the gospel, it doesn't just clean up your life it doesn't just fix that one issue. This word here, well, Luke uses it multiple times in his gospel, and he doesn't just use it about healing sick people. He uses it in all different situations, and it sort of translates to the, the idea of being complete, to make things whole, to fix what's going on, to right the wrongs. And see, Jesus is turning to you today because we're not the centurion in this story. We're his followers. And he's turning to you today and he's saying, wake up. Don't get too confident that you know what's going on. You don't have it all figured out. In this moment, you may feel pretty good, but a storm is coming, something's gonna happen. And your hope, like my hope, if it's stuck in this world, it's gonna be broken. And you're gonna realize, like I did, that you're putting your hope and your trust and your faith in the authority of yourself. But you're unworthy. You can't fix it. We can't fix it. I, as a pastor, can only point you to the one who can. And I need a constant reminder, and I'm thankful 
for the constant reminder that God gives me that I need the word. And about a year ago, God showed me this. This word holiness kept coming into my mind. And I know it sounds cliche, but in a dream, God showed me all of the ways that I was pursuing something other than him. Showed me all of the ways that I was confident in my own abilities and my ability to get a job and to care for my family and to live the life that I should live and to be a good dad and be a good father. And he began to change me and he began to show me that this world is so broken that no matter what I do, despite all of my best efforts, that in the end, either time or death is gonna wash it all away. It's gonna blow away in a wind. I wonder if you are there today, if you feel like God is calling you to an understanding of his holiness, to an understanding of just who he is, just how great and how mighty and above our thoughts he is. I wonder if you feel shame. I wonder if you just feel like you can't get it right. I wonder if you're hurting, you're in pain, you don't know what's going on. God wants you to wake up. He wants you to come alive. He wants you to understand that the authority of the word has the power to transform this world today. That in the authority of the world there is all the hope, the authority of the word, that every wrong will be made right. Every tear will be wiped away. And it's not found in yourself, it's not found in anything else, it's found right here. And I just gotta say, something is going on inside of me. I just love this book. And in that moment when the world broke in front of me, I clung, I clung to this book. And I just opened it up and I could do nothing but read it and I could wake up and I just desired Jesus and I thought to myself, my phone is not what I want in the morning. And I don't wanna check Facebook anymore. And I don't wanna buy stuff. There's nothing that's helping me here. I began to read these words but more importantly, I think what happened is these words read me. Jesus knew what I needed and Jesus knew what I truly desired and he wanted to transform my desires. He wanted to change me and he does it through his word, the authority of his word. And Christians, so many of us today need to understand that this is where our hope lies. This is what can change us. This is what is going to transform us. It's going to fix us, heal us. And your cancer and coronavirus and your marriage and everything is found in this book. Do you believe in that power today? Do you have a faith that Jesus marvels at? Do you open it up? And do you see the healing that it provides in all of your life? in every little area. Man, I just, I just love the gospel. My good friend John Blatchford says it all the time. He just says, I love the gospel. And I just love the gospel because 
It's not just that one-time thing that happened. But there are so many days that I wake up feeling like life is out of control. And I pick up this book and I read about Jesus and I've got hope again and I've got joy and supernatural peace that's outside of the comforts of this world. Do you know today that you have that same thing? Whether you're a Christian or you're like the centurion, you just heard about it today. Jesus is coming for you. He's coming right now. And you don't need to clean up your life and you don't need a church elder to send him a message and you don't need to send your friends. You need the word. The power to heal, to make things well. My prayer is today that you just enjoy it like I enjoy it. It's awesome. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you come to us in a moment. God, we thank you that in our need, you're on your way. God, I thank you that it doesn't depend on me. God, I pray that all of us here today understand something. We understand the hopelessness in our actions. We understand the inability of religion to clean ourselves up, to clean up our lives, to make us acceptable in front of you. God, you are worthy because of who you are and because of what you've done. God, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's easy and ready and available to us at any moment. God, may today lives be changed. May people see the need to just pick up this book and open it. That you're here with us today and we can talk to you and we can tell you what's going on. We can tell you how we're hurting. That you'll come to us with the healing power of yourself, God. And may we overflow with your love. May we share that joy with other people. May we transform this world, not because of the things that we do, but because of who you are and what you've done. And the stories that we'll tell. And the people that will see it around us and say, who is this Jesus that can fix my problem? Can you go to him for me? God, I pray that today we show people that he's right in front of them as he's right in front of us, ready, waiting to be our savior. I pray this in your name. Amen.